Welcome to Dear Runner Bod, the pod dedicated to helping you embrace your runner's body. I'm Serena Marie RD, a registered dietitian and body image coach who wants you to stop dieting and start fueling the athlete within. While I am a medical professional, the information on this podcast is for educational purposes only and is not meant to diagnose, treat, or cure. Now, let's start rewriting your body's story. Okay, today's episode of Dear Runner Bot is going to be fabulous because it is just so fun to talk to somebody who not only is an expert in nutrition, but also loves fitness as much as I love fitness and you love fitness. So today we are chatting with Samantha Christie, who is a registered dietitian, a body-neutral personal trainer, and founder of AAA Wellness in Cleveland, Ohio. And her mission is to empower people to live their best lives through movement and balanced nutritional practices. Sam Sam has her master's in food science and human nutrition and a BS in kinesiology and movement studies. She has worked in the fitness industry for over 12 years and multiple modalities with hundreds of clients and coached over 2,000 classes as Orange Theory Fitness. She prides herself on creating safe and inclusive spaces for her clients, working with people of all shapes, sizes, and backgrounds. Sam has a couple of core beliefs. Never again eat Halo Top, enjoy the foods you want free of guilt or shame, Two, get strong AF through strength comes power, which then becomes confidence. Three, weight has nothing to do with health. It's literally just a measure of you versus gravity. Four, we deserve to feel good in our bodies. Body image is an inside job. And five, wear the damn shorts. It's time to feel good in your skin. Outside of coaching and teaching, Sam enjoys spending time with her husband, James, and her dog, Rico, in addition to traveling and seeing her favorite artists and concert. So I hope you love today's episode. I am so excited for you to join us on this conversation all about movement, all about making peace with your body. And as a friendly reminder, make sure you head to Apple Podcasts, scroll down, and leave the podcast a review. Simply leaving a one-minute review is going to set you up to win a free masterclass where you can learn all about hydrating your long runs, banishing your sugar cravings, meal planning, uh, body image work, whatever it is that you want, you can win simply by leaving the podcast a review. So make sure you do that and then head to today's episode to listen in and enjoy today's conversation. Welcome to another episode of Dear Runner Bod. I am here today with Samantha, who is going to share such a juicy story that I think you are really going to relate to. Hi, Samantha. Hi. Thank you so much for having me. You are so welcome. So, Samantha, why don't you, um, you know, you're a trainer, you're a dietitian, you work at Orange Theory Fitness, you like myself and everyone listening, you love fitness. And I'm just kind of curious about how you went from being um, a, you know, fitness obsessed, maybe that's the wrong word to use, but like somebody who really enjoys fitness um, and being in this intuitive eating space, because I do know a lot of times there's a journey before somebody arrives at the intuitive eating space. Can you tell us a little bit about how you became interested in intuitive eating? Yeah, I would love to. Um, So I think the story is like kind of similar to like things that people will resonate with for sure. But I went to, I danced my whole life. So I was always active and, you know, dance was very expressive for me in ways that I didn't realize back then, but like it was expressive. It was where I made friends. It probably helped with my ADHD that I didn't even know I had back then. But like, so it was very, it was a huge part of my life. 
And so when I went to college, I knew that I wanted to do something with movement. Originally, I thought I wanted to be a physical therapist. So I studied kinesiology at Penn State. And to be honest, this was like the early 00s. So women weren't really like lifting in the gym. I was kind of just like a cardio bunny doing the elliptical. And I still danced competitively, even college. So that was really like my main form of movement. And through college, I kind of realized like I didn't want to go to PT school and I started moving kind of more getting interested in like fitness. And so I was like, let me just like try personal training because my degree like lended itself to like take the exam. So I got into personal training. I started working and I realized that it was like fun. It was a good way to meet people. I was networking. And quite frankly, like you could work like a part-time job, but get paid a full-time salary as a personal trainer. And that just like made a lot of sense to me. I don't know. I liked the freedom of being able to make my own schedule. And so I started working as a personal trainer and that kind of devolved into just becoming like more invested in how like movement can be like a healing part of your life because um, I was getting into like running and I was getting into more strength training and Um, At the same time, my husband was going off into the military. So it was like a very stressful time in my life as well. And throughout that period, I, my body had changed from like college to post-graduation and I didn't really know why. And I had like heard about forks over knives and my mom was like, let's just try it. So I was like, sure, 30 days of this, like, why not? Of course, like I lost a lot of weight. I got was doing like P90X and which taught me a lot about strength training to be perfectly honest. Um and definitely helped to like transform food, but then I started working at a gym. My husband's in the military. Uh I needed like hardcore coping skills that I didn't have and so movement became like very obsessive. It became like running multiple times a day. It became, you know, lifting a bunch of days a week. It became like really obsessively tracking my calories in my fitness pal. It became like fear that like the vegan God was going to like slain me from like just thinking about cheese or whatnot. And (laughs) it was just became very toxic. So this was like in your 20s then. Yeah, this was like literally between like 20. 23 and like 26 mostly like when I was like 23 24 so like those like formative early 20s where you like don't know who you are you don't know what you're doing and you like just are trying to figure out life yeah yeah so interesting okay so sorry I think I interrupted you no you're good so I like realized I had a problem with like tracking my food when like I couldn't go out to eat because I didn't have enough left and I actually went and met with a dietitian on um, Quantico military base And she introduced me to this idea of intuitive eating. And I was like, wow, this makes a whole lot of sense. Um, Because I was just doing things that I was like, why do I keep like feeling like I can eat raisins like nonstop? And I was like, had certain foods that I just like felt like I was eating out of control. And she was like, you're not eating enough and you're overtraining and like you need to listen to your cravings. And I was like, oh, yeah, that checks out. Wait, I think it is so funny raisins were like a trigger food for you because that was one of my like huge issues was raisins. Like I would eat so many raisins and get so gassy and be disgusting, (laughs) but it was raisins for me too. (laughs) I'm shook because I've never heard anyone else ever say that. It was that in cereal, but I think 
the dietitian mentioned to me that she's like, you're probably craving iron, which probably now I can look back on and I wasn't eating red meat and I was running and over-exercising. Boom, boom, boom. That's probably yeah. why. Yeah, body's pretty smart like that. That's so funny. So good to meet a fellow, you know, <laughs> triggered by raisins person in this universe. I think we might be the only two. <laughs> wow, that just like made my day. <laughs> That's amazing. Um, so yeah, so she introduced me to it. And I like just started to like realize I needed to get rid of some things like tracking and being obsessed with that. Well, then cue like another year and like my hip is busted. Like your girl was running like three days a week. She was cycling two days a week. She was strength training a ton. I literally had broke my um, labrum in my right hip and I had to get surgery. And that changed a lot because I was basically told like, yeah, you should not do endurance like ever again. Like if you want to save your left hip, you need to like calm it down. Um, and so I went through like getting my hip repaired, which really transformed my relationship with exercise just because I was like, yeah, exercising twice a day is not realistic, let alone, I really didn't know if I'd be able to like run or cycle or like what that would look like again. Um, so that, then I went to grad school this is like 2016. I'm like sitting in class. I'm like obsessively counting in my head to the point that I can't even focus And so I just walked myself down to the nutrition center with like my peers, my professors. And I'm like, I have a problem. I can't do this anymore. Like I need to stop tracking. Like this is driving me nuts. I literally can't focus. And so basically through working with a dietitian and then event that really helped tremendously. I got very invested in intuitive eating to the point that it became my thesis in graduate school. Wow, really? I cool. wrote a whole curriculum on um, intuitive eating for adolescent girls, and I started working with this program called Smart Fit Girls, which really focused on like body image and empowering young girls to have a good relationship with exercise. And that was kind of my like link back to having a good relationship with movement because prior to graduate school, I was so burnt out. I worked at Equinox, which was like very aesthetic driven, very just, it can be so toxic over there. And, um, I like, wasn't sure I'd ever return to the fitness space after when I was in grad school and then working with smart fit girls and seeing how like you can teach fitness in a way that is empowering, how you can help your body image, how you can have a good relationship with food and doing this like deep dive into intuitive eating. Um, it really like transformed everything for me and kind of led me to where I am today and made me realize like, Oh, there is space for me in the fitness world. There is a spot for me here. Um, and kind of that led me to where I am today. Yeah. Wow. I love that story. I love it because I think it's relatable. And Samantha, something that I really like that you were pointing out as you were telling your story was, and I'm sure this comes from your background as a dietitian and doing this for a living, but you were like peeling back the layers for us, right? Like you were saying, this started as a coping skill and then it became, you know, part of my identity. And then, you know, there's this aesthetics and the gym culture, toxic fitness industry influencing me. And I think so often when women realize like dieting has become too extreme, it just kind of, if you don't really like dig into the psychology of it, you can just kind of roll your eyes and be like, okay, then like delete my fitness pal, like shut up, like, okay, get over it, right? But but it, it's so much deeper than that. It's so much harder than that. Yeah. When I look back on it, and this took like therapy too, but like when I look back on it, like, of course I developed an eating disorder. <laughs> like, of course, like you had all the makings 
of it happening between like society at the time, between like going through a stressful life transition, between working in a gym, working in a toxic gym space, like the what society looked like back then, the culture, and then just being someone who, you know, needed something to latch on to as well. Like it just it has so many layers to it. And so I think it just I can look back at it now and be like, yep, that checks out. Yeah. So when you say you had an eating disorder, and I, I kind of have the notes that you had sent me beforehand, but so I think you said you were you were kind of working with a diagnosis of orthorexia. So can you explain like what is orthorexia? Because I think unless you're in our space, that might be one of those unknown eating disorders. Yeah. So orthorexia is like an obsession with clean eating or wellness or being like very pure. It's kind of seen. So for me, it was like the clean eating piece of it. Um, but it was also the exercise piece of it. Um, and so it was like very much the like earn and burn mentality or feeling like I had to track every little morsel of food. It kind of like had to be perfect in terms of like ingredients. So it's like that obsession with like knowing what is in something and like, you know, you're bringing your own food to the Christmas party kind of thing. Um, and it's really just that obsession with wellness. And unfortunately in society, it's like very much glamorized and you are like praised for it. And like still to this day, my friends are like, oh, you're like the really, really healthy one. And I'm like, I am, but like, I also eat things out of a box, like mac and cheese and whatnot, like, you know, like whatever, like, it's not like that anymore. Um, but you're like really praised for it in society. And it's like kind of just seen as like wellness and really it's taken to a very, an extreme level that people might not realize is an extreme level, but it is. So like why, like if somebody doesn't understand and they're sitting there and they're like, so you are eating really healthy all the time. Like, why doesn't that just make you extra healthy? Like how can we kind of discern when like it's eating disorder territory versus just like, I feel like now, right? You're probably just a really healthy person versus what you were doing before. I think when it starts to control your life and it becomes obsessive. So like for me, like just as a good example, like I, from a tracking food perspective, I was not even using my fitness pal anymore. And I would recount the numbers in my head literally hundreds of times over and over and over and over again, just to reassure myself, even though I get the same numbers every single time, because half the time you're making them up anyway. But like, it literally would be like, I couldn't focus in school because I was so obsessed. And like, like, there were no other thoughts in my head. And it was like the obsession with like, if I didn't work out, I would have like so much anxiety. And it wasn't just like anxiety because of other things going on. It was literally because like, I had to get that workout in or I had to go for a run or I had to do whatever. And so it's like the getting up at 4.30 in the morning, which for some people is a totally normal behavior to work out then. Like, let me preface that. But it's like when you're going out of your way to do that or you're skipping brunch with friends because you have to go to the gym, it's kind of when it like really starts to affect your life that it doesn't feel like you're living anymore. And instead, you are really living with a disordered way of looking at it. Yeah. I think that's – I love how we're not only talking about like what you were – like what it does to you, but then also giving those really specific examples of like how you can kind of start to detect if you're taking it too too extreme. Um, So I think something that's really beautiful and I I kind of – like jive with you in this way in that my eating disorder didn't prevent me from 
you know, still till this day, you know, I still love fitness. Like I'm still very active in the running community. I still train. And I know for you, um, just looking through your like reels and just kind of like chatting with you, like you still also are in the Orange Theory fitness world. Like you still are a trainer. So how did you do that? Like how did you flip that switch so it didn't feel like this really triggering obsessive thing anymore and become like kind of um, fix your relationship with movement? Yeah, that's such a good question. Um, I think two really good things happened. I think number one, when I left Equinox, and this is not to like poop on them, because they definitely helped me become like a really knowledgeable trainer that I am today. But I think leaving Equinox, going to graduate school, and being in school where I didn't have to work as a personal trainer anymore, and I know that that comes with privilege, but just being able to literally take a break from being surrounded by that space the whole time. Because when you're like living in the fitness world and working in it every single day, it's so easy for it to become toxic. Um, And especially for me, like before when like the previous gym that I worked at, when I had nothing to do, I would just like sit on it, go on an exercise bike, or I would just like go for a run because I like was there and there was nothing else to do. So I think like one of the biggest pieces was um, getting away from it and going to grad school and not having to work. And so that like, I could just like work out just for the sake of me. And just then it really was like a mental health thing, like for stress and anxiety with school. Um, and movement in Colorado is, I went to school at Colorado state. And so in Colorado, people approach movement so differently, which I also think really helped because movement to them is like seen as like, a part of your day in the sense of like, I'm going to bike to school or I'm going to walk to the coffee shop or like we're going hiking in the mountains. And it's much more like a part of their everyday living as opposed to like working out in the gym. Like to be honest, a lot of people in Colorado don't even go to a gym. They literally just work out outside. So I think seeing that on this like bigger picture and realizing like movement doesn't have to look a certain way. I think that really, really helped. And also just realizing like I was busy with grad school. I did not have an hour, hour and a half plus to like spend in a gym. Like if I had 20 minutes in between something to get a workout in, um, that was huge. Um, And that was enough. And that was all I had time for. And then I think again, working with the organization Smart Fit Girls and I think two things, A, being a coach for them and teaching young girls how to have a healthy relationship with movement was not only transformative for them, but transformative for me. Um, And then later going on to like write a curriculum for them, it felt like I had to, I wanted to be a role model for them and I wanted to embody that. And so it just like really helped to also transform my own relationship with it. Um, And now through, I think really with COVID and like just reevaluating things and kind of doing the work um, to just realize that movement can look so different for you. And it doesn't have to be this like toxic obsessive thing, but you can still really enjoy it. You can still train hard. You can still, you know, do all those things, but it can just have a different intention behind it. When you say COVID, do you mean like because the gym was closed or did you have like a, like a notable like healing event like happened to you in your personal life during COVID? I think it was because the gym was closed and I was very fortunate that I have a ton of equipment at home. I had a Peloton bike, like I was good, but I realized like movement being a part of my day, like changed my mood. And 
just seeing movement for having like nothing to do with aesthetics, but like, I just need something to give me some routine and some structure and something that brings me a little bit of joy. And it was like connection with people on the Peloton bike and, you know, all of those things, I think just also really helped. It helped transform my relationship with running as well to see it as like, this is a way to get outside. (laughs) It's a way to get fresh air, you know? Um, And I think that really helped as well because it was like, something that could be a tool in my toolbox um, Mm -hmm. during that time as a form of self-care when other things might not have been as accessible to us. Yeah, I I think um I think it's funny because I know for my own personal journey like COVID was also very healing for me. It was a little bit more because the races like a lot of races were canceled sure. and so I shifted my focus from training like to be competitive with myself um to just kind of like there's no races so I don't need to be competitive and I kind of really got to take a step back and realize like you know what being competitive. It doesn't have to be disordered, but I think that was really like the last piece of my journey that I still had a lot of like self-worth tied into like my performance. And, you know, it's okay to want to perform and be competitive, but like you shouldn't be hating yourself if, you know, you're not doing well in a race, right? Like that's a little messed up. And so like COVID was this really healing period for me as well. So I think that's so interesting that like when we were going through it, we were probably like, this really sucks, but it actually ended up being like a a silver lining in the end. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. Okay. So if I'm looking at like kind of like taking your journey of how you turned movement from something that maybe had a little bit of like a toxic effect on your life to something healing, we're kind of saying like first step was identifying those negative influences, like realizing like, hey, like some of the people at Equinox don't make me feel good about myself or like whatever. So like how could we translate that into like a broader picture for somebody who's listening to this right now and is like, you know what, like maybe I need to start like unlearning some of those toxic messages as well. Yeah. I think one of the biggest things is finding a non-aesthetic reason to move your body. You have to disconnect movement from the way you look or weight or size or whatever it is. But when you find a reason that like actually makes you want to go do it and it's not seen as a punishment as something that you have to do, but more of like truly something that you get to do, movement is a privilege and a celebration of like your body you're going to want to do it more, but also it's going to fit into your life in a way more balanced way. Cause again, it like becomes a tool in your like toolbox. And so connecting it to something that doesn't have to do with aesthetics, right? Even if it's just like, I want to feel strong. I want to feel good. It makes me feel confident. My mental health, like there are a bazillion other reasons to move your body. And so I think number one is finding a non-aesthetic reason to move. I think the second biggest thing is find something you like, something you enjoy, something that you don't dread doing. Um, Because when it's seen as like something that's fun, it's going to be self-care in multiple different ways. It's going to be self-care from, you know, something that like can help regulate you, but it also could be emotional regulation too if it brings you joy, like just flat out. Um, And I think also for a lot of people, think of movement in non-traditional ways. So it doesn't have to be going to the gym. It doesn't have to be running. It doesn't have to be taking a fitness class. It can be, you know, things you did as a kid. It can be playing pickleball, going rollerblading. Please wear all the pads if you're going rollerblading. I had no too many people like get the elbows, the wrists, like all the pads. 
please. Um, <laughs> but like it can be hula hooping, like something that just is fun and it doesn't have to be our traditional ways that we think of moving our body. Yeah, I think that's really helpful because I do think when you think of like, I'm going to get fit or like I have a goal, you just think of like basically gym or or running. You know, that's my community is mostly like running. But really movement can be anything that takes care of like your soul, your physical health, your mental yes. health, like all of those boxes need to be checked. And I also like this focus on those non-aesthetic goals. And I'm actually wondering – whether it's in your practice or as an Orange Theory Fitness uh, coach, if you hear someone who's like really fixated on the scale or the aesthetics, like do you have a way of trying to shift that language for them or that mindset for them that can be really helpful? Yeah. I'm trying to think of a good example because I do try to shift people away from the number side of it. Um, so – just as like an example, I remember um, a member who's now become a friend of mine. She, when she first came in, she kind of said something about like, just like, oh, I'm not a very fast runner and like, I just need to lose weight and like, I just feel so out of shape. And I kind of just said like, listen, all of those things like might happen while you're here, but there are so many other reasons to be here. You know, like we're not going to talk to ourselves in that way. Like you showed up today that's more than enough. You're here. You're doing something that is an act of self-care for yourself because regardless of the results, you're going to walk out of here probably feeling better in some capacity. You know, I think that movement can build resiliency and builds so much confidence and strength because we're doing hard things. And so things that make us realize we can take on those hard things outside of the studio space. And so kind of talking to them in that fashion and trying to like flip the script a little bit to say like, no, there are other reasons to be here besides that. Um, I never want someone to feel like their goals aren't valid or that like they're not there for the right reasons, but just trying to tell them like you are enough. Um, I always end my classes by saying, walk out of here feeling strong, walk out of here feeling proud and walk out of here knowing that you are more than enough. Um, and I try to, when people come into me with those like kind of very aesthetic driven goals, try to flip it and say like, you just showing up here is, is more than enough. And kind of like push, just put it like a little bit on the, like in the back a little bit, you know, um, to try to help to, uh, change some of those thoughts around it. I think that's like especially powerful in that setting. Like if you are just somebody who doesn't know a lot about intuitive eating or this non-diet space that, you know, you and I kind of live here. But if I'm just going to a random Orange Theory class and my goal is to lose weight and to have someone say something like that, I think can be almost like this introduction to this new way of thinking about your body, about fitness that I think sometimes diet culture tries to to like pretend they're like that, but then they're like, okay, but now go take a progress photo. <laughs> and like, if it doesn't look better, then like you, you screwed up, right? And so I think to really just have this like genuine presence, like every week I go see my Orange Theory instructor and I know Samantha's always going to be like, hey, but guess what? Like you did your workout today and like, how did you feel? And like really helping you check in with your present moment 
Um, not only does that just like make you feel so good about yourself, but I feel like it also helps prevent self self sabotage. Like I know for me, if I saw a number on the scale that I didn't like, or if I had a bad workout and didn't PR my workout, like that would lead to these self sabotaging behaviors. And I think that's a really huge gift that we don't talk about enough in the intuitive eating space, where like there's so much celebration and positive reinforcement to just let the body do what she wants to do without trying to control her and how it's so much easier to stay consistent when you're not constantly like manipulating these variables that leave us like hungry or low energy. Like it's so much easier to show up to Orange Theory and feel like excited when you're well-fed and you know your instructor is focusing on like the powerful you versus like how many calories you're burning. 100%. And I feel really fortunate that like I have never been silenced for the way that I coach because I never outwardly say like I am a body neutral non-diet approach, but I make it a point not to call out, not to celebrate the numbers, not to celebrate the calories or the splat points or the changes. And I try to talk about, like you were saying, like all those internal validators um, for people and you know, telling them like when I say like, hey, check in, how does the speed feel today? You know, that like your speeds can be variable based on how you felt and trying to play like, you know, if you're really stressed and tired, like your speeds might not be as fast as they were yesterday and that's okay. And so just giving them a lot more permission around it to check in with themselves. Because again, like you said, like you're going to feel so much more empowered in your body when it's coming from within. Um, And so I try to just teach in that fashion to let people know that it's okay to listen to your body. It doesn't always have to be harder, faster, stronger when we show up, that just showing up is enough and, you know, to listen to what you feel like in that moment. Yeah. What would you say, Samantha, to like, you know, you and I were speaking from a place of like thin privilege. So what would you say to the, the runner, the athlete, the Orange Theory fitness participant who's like, well, it's easy for you to say, like, you look the way you look. You look more like the pro a- the pro athletes than I do. And so, like, what do you do if if that's brought into the space where you're working? I love that you asked this because I think this is so important, um, that they are just as worthy as everybody else who deserves to be there. Um, and if anybody makes them feel otherwise, they need to go somewhere else because they deserve to be there just like everybody else, flat out. Um, I think there's such an elitism that can exist in not just the gym space, but the runner space. And it can make people feel like if I don't look a certain way, I don't belong. And that could not be further from the damn truth because everybody does deserve to be there. And again, I recognize me saying that it also does come from a place of thin privilege and that I have that an easier time showing up in the gym. But I also think, try to keep in mind that most people do not care about anyone besides themselves in the gym. (laughs) Like they're not looking at you. They're not making comments about you. They're not saying anything. And if they are, that's more of a reflection of them than it is of you. Um, And so you deserve to be there just as much as anyone. And, And I think in a lot of places that the communities are going to hopefully cheer you on and be there for you just like they would somebody else in the studio and whatnot. And so like, I try to always tell people like, take up space that you deserve to take up space. This is kind of like a good example. I had a woman who was taking class the other day and she was like kind of hiding in the corner. And I was like, hey, get out here, take up space. Like I just like set it right over the mic. And she was like kind of like shrinking back. I was like, nope, get in the middle, take up space. 
Like you deserve it. Like get in the middle. I don't care. Like just do it. Um, and so just trying to remember that, like, you're just as worthy. You deserve to be there. That like fitness does not have a shape. It does not have a fit. Like you could be so fit at any size, any shape. And I'm not just saying that, like watch elite track athlete, watch power lifters, watch, you know, like so many sports, like there is no size or shape to it. And we need to celebrate that diversity a lot more. Yeah, I totally agree. And I I think we like get fixated on the the thin ideal because it's like what we've been taught to seek out. But I think if you really do pay attention and look for diversity in sports, like a body size diversity, you can find it, right? But it's just not the person that you go to in your brain because you've quite literally been told to ignore that person. You're like, oh, like that person's the exception. Like, no, that person is also a professional athlete. I was at a baseball game a few weeks ago um, and this the, – uh, I, I don't know anything about baseball, but like a guy was at bat and he's a pro athlete. He's in the MLB or whatever it's called. And there's this dad and his like little son um, watching the game and the dad makes a comment about like the batter's body size because he was, he was like in a larger body. And I didn't say anything, which like I think for the rest of my life I'm going to like hate myself for this. But I'm like sitting there and I'm like, this is an opportunity to show like your four-year-old kid, like, look, there's a, there's body diversity. Like, look, that guy is a pro athlete, probably making millions of dollars to hit a baseball in his larger body. Like pro athletes come in all these different shapes and sizes, but instead he's ridiculing him. And it's like, oh, like, you know, look at that guy. And it's just like, it goes to show, of course, that there is validity when people say like they feel insecure about their body because we do live in a toxic culture. And at the same time, we can see how that, that, that culture is full of shit because here we have this pro baseball player making millions of dollars in his larger body. And it's, I don't know. So it's just like drives me crazy because it's like exactly what you said, that pro player deserves to be there making millions of dollars, like good for him. Like, and we need to start really rewriting and standing up for the fact that different body sizes all deserve to have fitness and part of their life can be good at fitness, can take part of fitness, and we don't have to like exclude certain body sizes or shapes. One million percent, like absolutely. And to add to like a lot of times, like the thin ideal that people see is not even like quote unquote healthy. <laughs> like it's, it's not the epitome of health. Like, and we have tons of research to even back that up. Like it's not, it's just unfortunately so ingrained in our culture to praise the thin white ideal. And we could probably talk just about that on a whole nother podcast episode. Absolutely. But like, Body diversity is very real. I do think it's like really important to follow and see those athletes who, you know, have similar bodies that look like you or don't look like yours, but to take from an array of people and to see that on social media and to see that in classes because it can be so relatable and just know that it does exist out there. Yeah, I love that you said that. Like fill your Instagram feed with athletes of different, you know, shapes and sizes and just keep reminding yourself like there is no one way to look in order to be a, a, an athlete, a capable athlete. I love that. Um, okay, Samantha, this has been such an amazing conversation. I like to end every um, podcast episode by asking a question that I think enough women do not really embrace like their body, why they love their body. And so I would love for you to share with us, why do you love your body? I love my body because it shows up for me every single day. You know, like 
she's had a little bit of abuse at times and yet like she's still showing up like i can still get out of bed every day and go for runs and work out and you know go see my friends and like if i want to walk my dog play with my dog i can do that or walk my dog or whatever like she still keeps showing up for me and i really fully appreciate that no matter what's been thrown you know their way like we're still here so um i think that yeah yeah, she's your teammate. I love that. That's that's beautiful. Um, okay, Samantha, thank you so much again. How can we follow you? How can we learn about you? Like, where can we go to just um, learn all the things about you? Yeah, I am on Instagram and TikTok and really all the socials as Triple A Wellness by Sam, and that stands for anyone, anybody, anywhere. Um, yeah. Thank you. So you have to spell it out like T R I P L E A. Um, TikTok's a little bit more unhinged and like Taylor Swifty stuff in there too, but you know, it's fun. Um, they can find my website at AAAWellness.com, Facebook as well. Um, but yeah, I would love to get connected. Or if you're, you know, in Cleveland, Ohio and want to come take an Orange Theory class for me, I coach over at the Solon Studio. I totally want to do that. <laughs> I don't know when I'll be in Cleveland, Ohio, but when it happens, I will be attending your class. I would love that. Yay. Awesome. Thank you so much again. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Dear RunnerBot. If you enjoyed what you heard, remember to subscribe and make sure you share today's episode. Also, if you're looking to download a free three-step guide to love your runner's bod, then head to serenamarierd.com. Can't wait to chat with you next week.